So how do you actually differentiate between companies? Like what makes a company a high quality company? Well, it's what we call um, a differentiator. And a differentiator is something that makes a company unique or gives it a competitive edge compared to its competition that is very difficult to overcome, okay? Um, when you think about large companies like Amazon, their infrastructure and their distribution network is already so large and so much, um, it, it's so insanely big that to mimic the, their distribution network would take insane amounts of resource and capital. And it's literally just Im, almost, it's implausible, if not impossible, to beat them at their own game, right? So that's something that differentiates Amazon from other companies. Welcome to the Adapted Eye Podcast. This podcast explores ideas related to self growth, finding meaning, and living a more fulfilled lifestyle. It's your host, with the most, Armel Tala. And it's your host, on the low, Ben Smith. We're two college students on our own path of lifelong learning with the hope that you will join us in our journey. And now, it's time for the next episode of The Adapter Die Podcast. Welcome back to the second part of Laws of Wealth by Daniel Crosby. Did I say that right? That was right, yeah. I mess up with these um, authors' names. Please forgive me. But so, what are the main ideas for this episode? Guys, today we're just going to be going over um, what he calls the state of money management, uh, four C's of investing or investing principles, I guess, and mm-hmm. then the five P's of investing, um, which are his ideas on how to create a systematic approach to investing. So, really honing it down to principles of investing and frameworks for investing. And this episode is a lot, very helpful. There's going to be a lot of information. Yeah, very packed content today. We're going to go through this with our little as possible of our opinion because we are not investing experts. So we're going to give you guys just straight the facts and how um, with as little interpretation of our own, but just using examples to clarify anything that we may think can be confusing. With all that being said, though, definitely... uh, good read um it's one of those reads where i think that you should take your time to fully understand like the first half i think part one was very straightforward it's like these are different laws yeah. these are examples like it was really nice you're like okay ooh, i won't do this now this second part is like oh wow like this is he's telling you he's really giving you a, a guide to how to um invest and i guess grow your wealth so i highly recommend this book um, with that being said, make sure you guys like, share, comment, please. I'm remembering to do this at the beginning. It means a lot. It's really helpful for the algorithm. So even if you don't like it. You're just, such a CS major. Just like it's it. very helpful for the algorithm, guys. So please help us improve the algorithm. I mean, the most important thing for the algorithm is the watch time. So you guys should actually fully watch this. Even play it in the background. Like just play it in the background. It doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to listen. Just play it in the background. <laughs> but please listen. There's a lot of value in this. But with, yeah, with sure. all that being said, the state of money management when it comes to, I guess, investing. So there's two um, what is school of thoughts that is in the world of investing is passive and active investing, right? And so passive simply just means like you invest in something like the S&P 500 or some index fund. And I just in those type of stocks or those type of funds, they're they're not managed um, heavily. Right. So maybe the people that run the fund like come together once a quarter or something and decide to adjust the, the portfolio of stocks they have. Right. Um, and then 
another thing is their low fees since they don't do a lot of managing very low fees now the difference with active as the name implies is the people that are running these funds i think these are like different um, etfs um if you're a billionaire maybe you invest in hedge funds i hope all of you guys can become as rich as you want um but so this just simply means that greater fees because the people now are they're constantly trying to i guess beat the market or beat this benchmark the s p 500 right so really, it's like a war against the S&P and a bunch of hedge fund, hedge fund managers that want to be better than the S&P. But another good thing about, I guess, good thing about active um, funds is that they try to mitigate risk while the passive funds are just following the whole market. So if it goes down, it goes down, but you kind of get mitigated risk through diversification. We'll dive more into that. But some key ideas from what he talks about on the state of money management besides passive and besides the passive and active uh, argument is that... Because someone like if you go on the internet and someone tells you like I pick these stocks and I pick these specific things or even experts like active um, hedge fund managers, just because they did something and it worked right, like uh, Michael Burry, he shorted the 2008 financial crisis. That doesn't mean that everything that they do afterwards is a good decision. And sometimes when someone picks a stock, that doesn't mean it was a good decision. If someone had bought Tesla like way back in the day, like now it seems like a great decision. But in that time, in that moment. It wasn't, and they didn't do it with a system. So what he's trying to um, point out here is that, yes, someone might have picked a stock or something and it went really well, but if they did not have a system, you cannot replicate that. They just guessed and were lucky. And then the second thing is that when it comes to investing, what you're trying to do is not beat a specific index or market, but you're trying to take advantage of little little things, right? And these these little advantages compound on each other. So if you can find an edge about like 1% or 2% compared to other investors that like maybe people are overlooking this certain stock because it's boring or people are, you know, all selling because they hear this news, but you, you know, done more research, whatever. You can find those little edges, exploit that. The compounding of 1% to 2% over time is a ridiculous amount. And last but not least, when, you, when you're talking about passive investing, Passive investing is kind of built on the idea of efficient market hypothesis. So this simply means that the market is quick and efficient at incorporating all the relevant information into price. And, you know, that make that means picking stocks is really just futile. It's like, why would you even pick stocks? And this idea of efficient market hypothesis, which I'm going to go a little side tangent, it's the fact that we say that the market kind of prices I guess to repeat myself, the market prices things correctly. It's like a reflection of what the actual true value is. And the way that people look at the efficient market hypothesis is that if Tesla is um, priced at $800, then that's what it should be, right? But what the but a lot of people have been railing or you know um, arguing against this. Um, what they call it? They call it EM EMH is because that it doesn't incorporate the fact that we are not rational actors. The, this this hypothesis plays on the fact that every person that participates in the stock market is rational, and that would be completely incorrect. And so Warren Buffett likes to say that the market is frequently efficient, but not always efficient. The difference in these ideas is like day and night. And again, it's not accounting for the behavioral risk that comes with market. But Ben, how do we manage behavioral risk? And what are the different types of risk, I guess, when it comes to our behavior? Yeah. Um, if you go to a finance textbook, there are two main types of risk you will find. The first is systematic risk. You can think of this risk as the entire market risk. So this could be um, a recession or you know a bull market, things like that. It's, it's where the entire market is moving. That is the risk posed by systematic risk. 
unsystematic risk is going to be the risk from a business. So um, it is separated from the systematic risk of the market risk. So it's what is the individual risk of a specific company um, that is not tied to the market risk of the entire market, right? So if, if the entire market moves down 10% and the company also moves down 10%, um, that is market risk, but, or I guess that's not, the, you know what I'm trying to say? That, that yeah. would, the unsystematic risk would be if the market is moving up 5% and um, the company, uh, its CEO does some scandalous stuff and that company drops 10 or 15%, right? So unsystematic risk is specific to businesses. Systematic risk is the market as a whole. Behavioral risk is the risk that you pose to your own investments. And so we often make decisions that um, are based in our emotions and due to biases that make our decisions not so good or they're not based on sound investing principles sound investing principles, right? So these five are, there are five things that are incorporated into behavioral risk. And these are posed by Daniel Crosby. He um, made these himself. You won't find these in a textbook. Behavioral risk is not something that is very uh, academic in nature. Um, He created these. Okay. Why should we listen to Daniel Crosby? He has a PhD in psychology. Um, he, that's it. That's, that's it. All you really need to know. Um, so when he's talking about behavioral risk, homie knows what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, the first one is ego. So um, basically, you will try to save your pride and your ego when investing. Um, and so if you make a bad investment decision, maybe you'll hold on to that bad investment because you don't want to hurt your ego and, and really admit that it was a bad investment decision, right? So you hold on to it and lose more money than you should have. That's an, invest- an example of ego. Um, information. So if you have a lack of information or poor information about what you're investing in, that can result in a bad risk or a bad investment. Um, the third is emotion. If you're investing, uh, maybe when you're in high times of emotional stress, or if you're just someone who's prone to certain moods, if you're always happy or always sad, that can affect your investing decisions greatly. Um, The fourth thing that goes into behavioral risk is attention. So whatever has been happening recently will be more prominent on your mind and will be weighted uh, unduly um, in your current decision-making. So if something happened yesterday, uh, I guess we're talking about this earlier, like if you had gotten a car crash yesterday and then you know, two days, like the next day, you have to make a decision about your insurance. You're more likely to buy higher priced insurance because you just got in a car crash yesterday. So it's on your mind that you just crashed the car and now you're paying more for insurance, right? Could you relate this to stocks when it comes to attention? Yeah. Um, I guess a good example would be, let's say you are surfing the web or something, or you're on the news and you see something about how, uh, you know, tech stocks are looking at a, a major bubble here soon and, you know, that they're going to go down for sure. But that's just one piece of information and all the information about tech stocks and the, the, you know, the market. So if you made a decision about investing later that day, you would put, you would overweight someone else's analysis about there being a bubble for tech stocks and possibly make a, an error in your decision for investing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The last thing is conservation. So we have a tendency to want to keep the status quo, um, and we, we hate losing, and we love gaining, um, but we especially hate losing. So we hate losing more than we, we like to gain, so we will minimize risk as much as possible. So we'll invest in stocks that are the clear-cut winners, um, and if we 
if we are losing money, we will actually try to keep money in those stocks with the hope that they will go back up eventually and that we don't lose money. We make weird decisions like that that are not logical, right? But they are emotionally based. Sorry, I feel like I went off on a tangent like a little too long in this, but... No, no, I think those tangents are are um, important to understand because mm-hmm. just hearing the fact that, again, behavioral risk are ego, information, emotion, attention, and conservation. Um, all of these... And it's interesting, Ben, when I asked him to bring up the point about attention, he mentioned also information risk in that of mm-hmm. just paying attention to maybe a few um, few sources instead of like everything that would be necessary. And some a quote I really like about information risk that I do just want to add is the information we possess is only as clean as the process by which is by which it is considered. And so this leads me to what Daniel Crosby um, introduces as the four C's for rule based in behavioral investing. So he lays out a framework to interpret information to make decision. This is more like not a, not exactly framework because the five P's is more specific on how you actually pick the stocks. But this is the overall the foundation yeah, to how like you should principles. manage. Yeah. So this is the principles, the foundation of how you should actually manage these different risks because these different risks don't just happen one at a time, but they can happen all together at once. Two or three can ha- can take place. So. But the four C's to quickly go over them before I dive into each one. Um, first C is consistency. Second is clarity. Third is cr- um, courageousness. And fourth is conviction. So when we talk about consistency, right, consistency has to do with the fact that as humans, we will often make decisions that aren't consistent at each and every single day. When you want, when you say you're going to eat healthy, you won't always choose to eat healthy each and every single day. So, but why is consistency really important? It's because that when you want to pick stocks, you should build you should build a model, an algorithm, a decision-making process, a system, right? And so a lot of times people will build these systems but but will go against their own system or they will feel like they need to add something to the system, right? And Often throughout the book, he calls this models. So when we're talking about models, this an example of models um, is present in the fact of what's happening in Wall Street and that quantitative hedge funds are taking over Wall Street. And these hedge funds are taking away humans from making those decisions and they're using models and computers. And as you know, computers are very emotionless, right? And so a thing with models that, again, like I mentioned, people try to do is add their own, add their own human judgment. But what you... To us, intuitively, we would think that adding our our own human judgment on top of these models that we've already made would make it better, but it actually degrades the version of the model so that let's say that you have this system that you said, I will do X, Y, and Z to pick a stock. And then let's say like at that time, you're like, oh, well, here's X, Y, and Z. I just saw you know this and this. I heard this news. Let me add something to it, right? That will actually do worse than if you just let the model itself run of you adding your human judgment. And so that is just something to be very aware of that consistency has to do with the fact that you need to build a system, you need to figure out a model. And if you know how to code, it'll be even better if you can write it down and run it just through your computer and never have to really look at your thing. So number two has to do with clarity and clarity is very straightforward. When it comes to you creating your system or your model, try to be very concise about what indicators, what data that you look at, because the more data that you have, the more complexity you introduce does not mean that you're going to actually be more accurate. If anything, it might stray you away from, and there's this idea of what they call overfitting, where you take a lot of data points and then you try to make it as closely as perfect as possible, 
But if we've learned anything about human beings, about the real world, there's so much complexity that you can't perfectly fit um, this the- a theoretical model to what's actually going to happen out in the stock market. So the best thing you should do is find, I think he said, he said three to seven key indicators. Yeah. He said three to seven key indicators. So this might be maybe we're not going to go into the details of it, like debt to assets, uh, profitability, different different indicators and stuff. So again, clarity has to do with the fact that when you're creating your model, try to try to pick as little a little as little data and as few indicators as possible because simplicity is key. Simplicity is perfection. One thing to note on that is just that correlation doesn't mean causation. So when you have big data, you're going to have random information and data that will have a perfect fit with the past 10 years of data, but it won't mean anything for the future. So just a random side note, but keep going though. And so number three is courageousness. And some people might go, what, what, why, why would courageousness be a part of the stock market? It's not like something is going to you know, happen to me. Well, when you're talking about money, a lot of emotions come into play. And sometimes you have to make decisions at times that seem very irrational to you, but it's rational to the model that you made before, right? And so with courageousness, there's something when you build your system, you want your system to save you from two major issues, and that is leading you, leading, leading you to take a non-consensus, a non-consensus view. And so this simply means that when people are all deciding to buy, 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 and everyone's super eager and um, euphoric, you look at the market and say, okay, are people being irrationally euphoric? And you try to not, you don't view the market the same way that everybody is. That's simply what it means by um, not have, not taking a not taking a non-consensus view. And number two is keep you invested um, almost all the time. So again, compound interest is a great thing. And um, as we mentioned before, it, it makes the difference between if you you know, buy a stock, you try to time it, and then you sell it, come back in, time it, sell it, come back in, compared to if you would just have held throughout the time of the rise, through the ups and downs, you would have more money at the end if you would keep your money invested than if you kept trying to time the market. Um, and there's a lot of statistics and data to prove this. You can look this up yourself. But so when it comes to making superior invest, um, so when it comes to formulating a superior investment strategy, Two really simple things here is invest in companies that most people aren't investing in, right? So this means that you're finding the companies that aren't overhyped. And Ben will go into why that you want to look at um, these type of companies because the price when things are overhyped makes does not make it a good um, purchase decision. And then second, you want to be correct about, about the companies that you pick. And um, obviously, if you're not correct, money goes down. But again, so important thing about courageousness is just the fact that you don't you want to you want to act opposite of the crowd. And it takes a lot of courage to do that a lot of times because you will see everybody maybe making money when it keeps going up. But you can't really time when that come down will happen. All you can do is to follow your principles, your philosophy, your system to decide when you should go out and be and be strong on that. But then on the flip side as well is that you also um, need to know when to buy. So when everybody's selling, selling, everyone's terrified, it takes courage for you to be like, okay, I know the market is at its bottom and you might think it might keep going down, but if you follow your system and then you, you know, you've, you've thought about this beforehand, you've created a system for it, then you should have the courage to you know, follow that system, take the trigger and buy stocks. And so timing the market seems to be impossible, but there is evidence to suggest that um, that you can enter the market that, oh, sorry. There's evidence to suggest that 
when you enter the market, it makes no significant difference in returns. So that's just something to be mindful of. Were you going to add anything? Are there any exceptions to that at all? Um, so the biggest exception is when there is bubbles. And so what is a bubble? A bubble is practically when stock prices, when the market is super euphoric. And I mean, you will hear when there's a bubble, you will hear people calling the bubble for time and time and over again before the bubble actually does crash. And so a bubble, I'll go into the key indicators to, you know, the signs to tell you that a bubble is occurring. So number one is exceedingly steep valuations, which means that companies are way overpriced. It means that like companies might be trading. So there's something called the PE ratio. It's the price to earnings. And so some companies might typically trade at around like 20%, um, 20 price to earnings ratio, but they might be at a hundred, right? So that's another, that's one indicator. Number two is excessive leverage. And so leverage simply means people are taking out loans um, to buy more stocks, right? And that's typically a really bad thing to do because you're investing money that is not yours in hopes that you can make a return that is greater than what you're taking that loan for. So that's why people use leverage, but typically highly um, advise against it. This is, a, this is a tool that really professionals should only be using, but a lot of times when the market is euphoric, people are gonna you know, take, those, take those steps to try to get more returns. Second, um, third is lax lending standards. So this means low interest rates. So right now we're at um, time where interest rates are at zero, which means- All time lows. All time lows. That means that when you take out money from the bank, um, when you take out money from the bank, your interest rate lows are very favorable and it makes it very easy for you to try to use that leverage again to try to beat the market, to uh, beat the rates that you're taking um, the loan out for. Number four is low volatility. This means that the market just keeps going up, 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 and you don't see any signs of it coming down. That should be um, a hint, warning. Hint. Hmm? hint, hint. Hint, hint. And number five, last but not least, is high participation in risk assets. So this means people trading things that they normally wouldn't, people trading things that are typically considered risky. And if you've noticed, every single thing I've said is pointing that we are, we are in a bubble right now. So be mindful. Um, and, and a thing on risk assets that you can think of today is cryptocurrencies. I'm a big proponent of cryptocurrencies, but not every single crypto is a good investment and they are risky. So that is just science to show you of a bubble. But last but not least is number four, conviction. And so conviction really is just, a, um, conviction is, a, is implying diversification. But when we're talking about diversification, there's something, there's something that is not very um, obvious. So whenever you are, whenever you aren't very diversified, you have a high chance of outperforming like an index or redoing really well, getting really um, good returns, but you also have a high risk of losing everything. When you are super diversified, maybe having a hundred stocks in your portfolio or hundred different assets and stuff, then you lower your chances of having, um, outperform of outperforming the, um, an index, right? So you might just be follow. You might actually just be doing following what the S and P is returning. Um, but you also lower your risk. So low. So um, not very. Not being diversified results in high chance of doing really well, of good returns, of really good returns, and high chance um, of high chance of risk. And then when you are over diversified, you have lower chance of outperforming and lower chances of you know losing all your money. And so what you want to do is find the Goldilocks of this diversification. And this is important because you get the benefits of having the chance to outperform, but you also mitigate risk. And so this Goldilocks zone that um, Dr. Crosby recommends is about 25 stocks. And so this is really up to you. But where does conviction play into all of this? 
whenever you decide to lower your diversification, you decrease from like maybe 50, 40, 25 stocks, you want to really understand the companies you are investing in and you want to really have a strong belief that these companies will do well. And not just a belief that is from your mind, but a belief based on the systems you build and the data. And so having a strong conviction means that you can you don't have to be super duper diversified owning the entire market, but you need to be super, super confident in what you're investing in. And again, that Goldilocks zone is about 25 stocks. So with laying that foundation to understand, again, the four the four um, C's for rule for rule based and um, behavioral investing is consistency, clarity, courageousness and conviction. With all that being said, though, how do we actually pick these stocks? Yeah, that's a so Dr. Crosby gives us the five P's of investing, and this is a framework that he created to give you a good sound investing good sound investing principles. He doesn't say this is the best. He just says they are very good. He's been a financial advisor and in the area of behavioral investing for a very long time. He's a PhD in psychology, so a very smart dude. Knows what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> wait, do you have something to say? Or, mm. No? Okay. Um, but keep in mind that these uh, principles or his, his rules are meant to give you the house edge, okay? So you're not always going to win. Have patience with these. Um, investing takes time. Investing is not short-term. It is a long-term game, okay? Don't forget that. Um, another reminder is that you have to use a system. So as Mel pointed out, and we've already talked about already, um, your emotions are, they will lead you to making improper decisions, right? So rely on models, okay? Don't rely on your human judgment because if you rely on models, you're more likely to get a better output. If you rely on your human judgment, you're more likely to um, be prone to those biases we talked about earlier from behavioral risk and make improper decisions. I want to add quickly that this isn't just for us retail investors. He also says this for people that get their PhDs in financial engineering, like, just because you are educated, that does not correlate to the fact that you are always going to make the best decisions because, again, we are human. Yeah, and one thing, I've, you actually, it is literally impossible for you to make a decision without emotion. Like, they've proven this. So humans make decisions with emotions, okay? So models don't use emotions. Humans use emotions. And emotions don't actually help you make decisions and in investing. They're just emotions. So anyways, let's get to it. So the five fees of investing are price, uh, property, pitfalls, uh, people, and push. So we'll go over these in detail. The first one is price. This one is interesting because when you go to the supermarket, right, price is actually the biggest indicator of quality. So you see something that's high priced, you're like, wow, that must have had a lot of effort, a lot of quality, a lot of time that gone into making that product, right? That same logic doesn't necessarily hold for the stock market though, right? Just because a, a company is, and this happens in bubbles, the company can easily be overpriced um, in bubbles and in the market. And the important part about price, though, with the stock market is that you'd never want to buy high, right? Because how do you make money in the stock market? You buy, you, you make money in the stock market from the difference between when you bought and when you sold. There's really no other way, right? So if you're buying a company at a high price, it's going to be harder for you to make money because you're betting that they're going to go even higher than their already high price, right? But if you buy it at a low price, there's a much higher chance that it will go um, even just reverse to the mean or just go to the average or even go higher, which will get you much higher returns. Because again, you make money on the difference between when you buy and when you sell, not on the price, right? So anything on that? Um, Besides that, I mean, 
more the it's like the simplest rule you hear like if you ask someone how do you invest they go you know buy low sell high yeah but emotions will make you do the opposite at times because of fomo <laughs> oh one more thing is that um you want to shoot because of this um very simple idea you want to shoot for value stocks okay and value stocks just means stocks that are undervalued by the market um you can look more look up more on this uh by your own but um it's a great indicator as to what stocks you should be buying. The second one is property, or another way is um, another way to put it is just buy quality. Okay, so remember that a stock is a share of a corporation or a company. Okay, so you're not buying some random number that just goes up and down, and it's actually a company that's behind that number. And what the company has, their product, and and who they are really matters. Okay, their quality um, will eventually be reflected in future shares. Right, so keep that in mind. Um, because you want to buy not only companies that have a good price, but are really good quality. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and okay. I was going to say something that happens in the market is that sometimes the price will be disconnected from the quality. But if you understand the quality of the business and you see that it is undervalued, that is a great time to like buy more. And that's just the idea of value investing. Exactly. And, um, so how do you actually differentiate between companies? Like what makes a company a high quality company well it's what we call um, a differentiator and a differentiator is something that makes a company unique or gives it a competitive edge compared to its competition that is very difficult to overcome okay um, when you think about large companies like amazon their infrastructure and their distribution network is already so large and so much um, it, it's so insanely big that to mimic their distribution network would take insane amounts of resource and capital. And it's literally just almost, it's implausible, if not impossible, to beat them at their own game, right? So that's something that differentiates Amazon from other companies. Um, Other examples would be Google's search engine, uh, Coca-Cola's, their unique recipe. I didn't know it's still like a A secret. secret. I I, I don't don't know. know, They're selling death. In the they, can, so yeah, and then I guess one more is um, Harley Davidson as like brand identity. Um, people, motorcyclists will get Harley Davidson like tattooed on them. Like that's, I mean, that's pretty good brand quality. It's you know, the same that's, with Apple. Like yeah, so people Apple will only is, buy iPhones and stuff because even though an Android could have all better qualities and beat it, but it's an iPhone. Who's sending green text? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and one more thing, if uh, you want to get more in depth on how to identify quality companies. Um, I'm not sure how to say his name, but it's called the Piotrowski F-score. Uh, the name is P-I-O-T-R-O-S-K-I. Um, these are nine indicators that he made, um, and they're very good at, at predicting what companies are quality, and that will get you a, a good good stock. So the third is pitfalls, or another way put is consider risk. So <laughs> Warren Buffett's two rules um, he has, his first rule is don't lose money. And his second rule is never forget the first rule. So if you didn't catch that, um, don't lose money, right? Uh, the, when you're evaluating your market portfolio, if the most important thing is not to lose money, the thing you should be concentrating on the most really is your risk, okay? And we've talked about this before, but you actually suffer the greatest risk in bull markets and you have the least risk in bear markets, simply meaning when markets are at an all-time high, um, I think we're there right now, we're getting there, um, you are suffering the greatest risk because if it drops, you're going to lose 10, 
percent of you know whatever stocks you have whereas um when the market's super low which is a bear market if the market goes up you're going to make it only has if it's at bedrock it only has one place to go right so you're going to make money when it goes up to the moon um, yes sir so one thing you just need to ask when you're making investment decisions is why might i be wrong because this will help you identify your risks that you are not seeing okay um he also mentions, mentions four factors of being fooled or you know, being duped or gullible about um, decisions, but they play very well into investing. Um, and so keep these in mind. The first is social pressures. So people will be like, yeah, you got to invest in this crypto. Like Dogecoin, bro, it's the next coin. Like I don't, is Dogecoin even still a thing? I don't know. Who knows? Anyways. Why um, do people do it? Don't, always, don't listen. Just because someone else is doing something doesn't mean you should do it, right? Um, so beware of social pressures. Second is uh, cognition. Um, so what he says, lack of knowledge or clarity of thought. He, he's very clear it's not intelligence, but if you don't sit down and actually think about what you're investing in, then you <laughs> have a good chance of not investing in the right thing, right? A great example of this is that Warren Buffett hardly invests in any tech stocks. And if, so Warren Buffett obviously has been around for a very long time and he was around the dot com and he has seen tech stocks absolutely explode. But one thing he loves to say is invest in your realm of competency. So that goes again with cognition is that you shouldn't invest in a biomedical company that's looking that's everyone's talking about that might change the world if you yourself don't can't understand it or won't take the time to understand it. That's a great point. Yeah, don't remember like going back to like the whole thing like you're investing in a company if you don't understand the company. It's probably not a good investment for you, right? Um, the third thing that he mentions is personality, okay? So um, if you, some people are, are more prone to being optimistic, some pessimistic, and um, some, you know, sadistic or whatever. Be aware of who you are and your optimism towards investments because that can play a huge role in how you make investing decisions. And you can get others, maybe a financial advisor, your parents, a trusted friend, um, to help mitigate those, right? And the last, the fourth one is um, emotion. So don't let the prospect of a huge payday or someone telling you that this, um, you know, this certain investment's going to make you triple your money within a year because those are almost always scams, right? Mm -hmm. So keep in mind that your emotion is important and, and even like negative emotion too. Like don't be afraid to invest in semi-risky assets just because you don't want to lose money, right? It goes both ways. And so there's a checklist that they consider, trying to give Ben a break here because he's going to be talking a lot through this section. But so there's a five-part five part checklist and um, I'll quickly name them out and you can explain each part. So number one, he says, consider alternatives. Two is seek dissent. Three is keep track of previous decisions. Four is avoid making decisions while emotionally extreme, while at emotional extremes. And five is understand incentives. So going back to considering alternatives, what does that mean? Consider alternatives. Um, remember that, so decisions should never be made um, in a vacuum, right? This is, everything is only good or bad in relation to other decisions, right? So um, when you're making a decision about a company, consider the other companies around you know, that are near or close to that company because that'll help you understand that company. Um, and he says, uh, his question that you should ask for this is, what's my next best option? Okay, so explore your alternatives. That is a great way to put it. I didn't even think about that. That is something like where um, everything is relative. So you're only as good as someone next to you is as bad. Um, number two, seek dissent. Yeah, so this one is pretty simple. Just go ask Someone that you will not, not just anyone, but find someone you trust or someone knowledgeable in the sphere that you're investing in and ask them why you're wrong. And maybe they might not have anything, but a lot of times they'll see holes in your argument that you don't see. And 
if you are open-minded and allow them to you know, provide you new information, uh, that can really be helpful for understanding where your risk is in your certain investments. It seems that investing is really about you know coming up with this thesis and reaffirming it. And that's like really interesting for anybody that might be scientific, but it's also really crucial point to understand that you are coming up with a reasoning why, building that with logic, and I'm um, trying to avoid as much emotion. So then he mentions keep track of previous decisions. Why is this important? How are you ever going to learn from your mistakes if you don't exactly remember why you chose something or even remember what the decision was, right? So if you can keep track of your decisions, um, what he says is he suggests writing down, um, whenever you're making an investment decision, write down why you're making that decision and what your thoughts are for the future. That way, when you can, in the future, when you can see that decision, playing out, you know, five, 10 years in the future, you can go back to that paper that you wrote and you can see why you made the decisions. And then you can actually have a very solid and concrete um, reference to learn from your mistakes or uh, affirm your decision and then gain more knowledge and solidify your knowledge in investing. And last but not least, understanding incentives. I love the idea of incentives because I think that is how we are made as humans. Like we do things based on the incentives, but why should we understand incentives in terms of the stock market? Yeah, this one is actually a little confusing to me. So let's see. Financial. So what Ben has written down. Yeah, sorry. I get lost in my notes sometimes financial incentives are obvious drivers of investment decisions but other considerations come into play as well investors should be aware of reputational and career risk as the real motivators that they are that um real motivators that they are so just reading off of this i think this might have to do with the fact like some people might be making certain decisions based on the fact that they might make a lot of money if they you know choose to not you know invest in this certain company so this might Mm -hmm. go with more like active managers and stuff but i'm not sure on this point yeah i'm sorry that i i can't remember this clearly but i if i remember correctly like what he's saying maybe like a good example would be you know mel you're very bullish on bitcoin right Mm -hmm. i think maybe like let's say like bitcoin in five years just started like tank and it was a very i mean you know like it's very obvious that like it was just going to go to zero but you stayed with bitcoin because you have been a bitcoin proponent right it's mm-hmm. like your incentive is to maybe to kind of you know save face like you have a lot of um writing you have a lot riding on bitcoin and so even though you know that it's a bad decision you keep that decision mm-hmm. because your incentive is to do so for your reputational financial yeah. all your interests like that because and it's like the if i've been running around telling people invest in bitcoin invest in bitcoin yeah and i'm i'm gonna have that ego that's a, another tip tie mm-hmm. back to behavior risk that is the ego risk right there and the question that um dr crosby tells you to ask is what what do i stand to gain or lose and how is that coloring my perception so understanding your own incentives so why you want to even invest in that stock is a big big idea um and last but not least there's some trickery that goes on in the world yeah um you guys have probably heard of enron but if you haven't heard of enron they were basically a company that uh they did some very funny accounting stuff and they ended up um kind of fooling the entire market for a period of I think it was like three, three-ish, four-ish years, maybe even longer. I'm not totally sure. I wasn't. I was born after it happened, so hmm. who knows? Um, but basically, they did some very funny stuff. They were doing very illegal things with their books and tricking investors, and they went bankrupt, and a lot of people lost a lot of money. So companies do um, manipulative things with their books that don't allow you to actually see what's going on. Um, and so there are two kind of 
what would you call them? Um, I guess metric scores, yeah, like predictive to... models. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. um, they're called the Montier Z score and the Altman Z score. These are separate, um, but they're both pretty good at predicting whether a company is mani- being manipulative with their books and whatnot. So you can look those up on your own if you're investing in a certain company, just to double check. You know. And um, I want to point out that was all information for number three. Yeah. And the rules of um the five P's of investing, and that's to tell you that. Risk is the most important part about investing, managing your risk. And once you start getting deeper and deeper into investing, you understand that losing, what is it? Losing 50% takes 100% to get to recoup all your money. So just because you lose 50, you can't think, oh, I just have to gain back 50. You have to gain back more. So you losing money hurts, hurts your portfolio a lot more than when you've gained that money. So again, that's why we spend so much time talking about risk. Risk management is important. But Further than just the company itself, there's people that lead that company. Mm-hmm. So the fourth P is people. Um, he says, follow the leader. And so the mm-hmm. leaders of the company, they know a lot more about the company than anyone else, right? So when you're, if you see that uh, a CEO or someone who's very high up in a company is selling their stock or buying back more of their stock, um, that is a pretty good indicator of what they think about the stock or even if a company as a whole is just buying back stocks, that's a good indicator of what they think about the company, right? And they know more um, about their company than anyone, right? So if, especially if a, a CEO is selling their stock, you might want to just look at why they're doing so. Of course, they may have personal reasons or other reasons. So um, it can and oftentimes is valid, but you want to do some more analysis on why they're doing so. Um, and the only thing I was going to add to this is that CEOs can't, and people in the company can't just sell their stocks whenever they want to. That would be insider trading. But so it's like paying attention to they have times when they do where they can get more stock and stuff. And so you have to just kind of pay attention. Like, are they choosing to keep those stocks? Or are they getting them and then immediately selling? And last but not least, last is push or go with the flow. So um, there's something called momentum in uh, investing. It's pretty much the same as you think of, uh, you know, inertia like newton's laws uh so it's just momentum of a stock instead of momentum of like an object uh but basically it says that this idea that when a stock is going up even if it is not deserving of uh, maintaining that growth uh it will maintain that growth just because people have a tendency to think that things will stay the same and people will keep purchasing the stock uh perpetuating its growth even though it hasn't done any more to deserve that growth. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, okay. I want to make sure because I understand momentum as like a physics thing. But <laughs> um, anyways, based on this, uh, there's two things you want to do. Um, big idea from Benjamin Graham and his book. I forget which book it was, but... An Intelligent Investor. I think it was The Intelligent Investor, but it could have been Security, Security analysis. analysis. I have both of those books. Um, you <laughs> don't expect to get a review. Maybe you can get a review of Security Analysis. That is a textbook, but we'll probably do The Intelligent Investor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that, you know, if you're, because of momentum, you want to let your, your, uh, good picks, your best stocks run on. So let your profits run on when the stock is growing. And if a stock is, uh, falling or decreasing, you just want to cut short the losses and invest in something else because it will probably just keep going down. Um, he also went a few pages, uh, Dr. Crosby did about using value stocks and momentum as um, two indicators to buy your stocks and how good it was uh, historically and even currently to pick really great stocks that get you good investments. So these variables provide really great returns. 
Guys, that was a lot, lot. of information. And I want to add to like some of these ideas can seem conflicting because I know we talked about like, hey, you don't want to um, you don't want to buy when you know things are getting are are high and you don't want to sell at certain times. And so this kind of shows that investing in itself is a complicated and it takes time to understand these things. I highly again recommend buying the book um, or just reading the book. You can mm-hmm. find it online. Please don't hurt me, Dr. Crosby. But it takes time to learn, study, um, and just because, you know, if you, a lot of us know people that just get into investing and then they think that they are just really, really smart. I remember I went back home, saw one, um, somebody I knew in high school and they were like, hey man, I turned $200 to 2000 man. Like, let me know, let me know. Are you a hedge fund manager now? <laughs> I don't believe so. So again, understand that there is a learning curve to investing, but as he said at the beginning, it's one of those things that isn't necessary and it doesn't have to be as complicated. Everything that we're pointing out here is for people that want to be more active in their investing, right? And so you can go with the passive route because passive investing is not bad, right? It, well, even so, like you would, if you were to passively invest, you'd want to take these principles and put them into some type of something, like a model maybe that gives you the same, like similar output. It's just less active, so it's probably a little bit worse. Yeah, and that's really all I wanted to add is just the fact that this is a lot of information. Yeah. Um, this podcast is a good way to start, but you definitely have to do more research yeah, the, on your own time. The world of investing is much larger than 45 minutes of me and Mel talking. So. <laughs> and we are not financial advisors. Any mm-hmm. gains or losses you advice. have is not due to us. With all that being said, quick recap of everything we talked about. Let's get it, Ben. Okay. So um, the state of money management, um, Mel talked about passive and active investing. Passive just being uh, you know, an exchange-traded fund or an index fund or something like that, while active investing is actively managing your money. Um, one thing is you got to make sure you manage your behavioral risk. So be care of your, beware of your emotion and make sure you're using models and systems to make your decisions. Uh, the four C's of rule-based investing, one is consistency, uh, two is clarity, three is courageousness, four is conviction. Um, do you want me to go over those? Like, little, no? Okay, sweet. The five P's of investing, uh, we have price, property, pitfalls, people, and push. I know it's a little ambiguous in terms of the name, so I'm going to say them fully. Um, price, never overpay. Property, buy quality. Pitfalls, consider risk. People, follow the leaders, so like CEOs and whatnot. Um, push, go with the flow, being momentum of stocks. That is what we covered today in a nutshell. I hope you guys got a lot of value out of this. This is not a lot of um, interpretation from us, mostly just uh, kind of summarization, picking the most important topics and expanding on them with examples and whatnot. Uh, and with all that yeah, being said, a quote from Armelicus Melius. <clears throat> Gotta clear out the throat. Hope I don't, I don't stumble my words. I really like this one. This, is, this doesn't just apply to investing, but like this, impl- this can apply to your entire life. If constraint sometimes affords a kind of liberation while freedom affords a kind of enslavement, then people would be wise to seek out some measure of appropriate constraint. Barry, how do you say his last name? Schwartz. Schwartz. Barry Schwartz. Schwartz. I want to repeat this because I think it's a really good quote. If constraint sometimes affords a kind of liberation while freedom affords a kind of enslavement, then people would be wise to seek out some measure of appropriate constraint. Barry Schwartz. And so in the realm of investing, this simply means that the constraint is building is having this model that you follow specifically, like you 
do not you do not go away from this model. If anything, if you want to change something, you change the model and you update your model based on logic and reasoning and data. Now, freedom is when you just say, I don't need a model. I'm going to just be free and pick any stocks I want, right? And so when you have a model, you have a more peace of mind that you are making decisions based on this logical thought process you've had before. When you are free, you're really just kind of being enslaved to your emotions at the moment when you're picking stocks. But when it comes to life, which I think is um, a better, is not a better, but is even more impactful, is that constraint is a is similar to discipline. When you are disciplined and, you know, following your diet, discipline and, you know, being a good person, going to sleep the right time. Even though that you are constraining yourself to things like, hey, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to make sure I am following these rules. You actually gain a more sense of liberation. You feel more free when you do those things. You feel accomplished and you live a better life. But when you allow yourself to, I guess, not be disciplined, you actually become enslaved to these bad habits, to all these external things that may cause you sadness and all, all that other. So I think this is an amazing quote that applies to both investing and life. So with all that being said, that was your quote from Armelicus Melius. <laughs> I enjoyed that quote. Thank you. It was actually really good. Like you're right, it applies much broader to just life in general. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I read it in the book, I was like, I stopped, took a picture of it. And thankfully, I was able to add it just in time. But with all that being said, I already told you guys, if you made it this far, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you gained so much value from this. Again, like, share, subscribe, check out the blog, check out. One thing, um, finals are here, and I've uh, been doing a lot of other stuff, so I've been lacking on the blogs. Um, if you have been reading them, thank you. If not, no worries in the future. But I'm going to kind of take a break for a little while to kind of get my life in order while we finish finals and uh, move on to the next semester. Just as a side note. Yeah, we got a lot of life thinking to do, y'all. But I hope I hope this podcast has been a guidance in your life. It definitely has been to mine. And with all that being said, peace.